Welcome to the Shaping Champions podcast, a platform for discussion and exploration into what it takes to be a champion in life. We speak to athletes, entertainers, business people, and everyone in between about their journey and experiences, discovering the key ingredients needed to become successful at whatever it is you do. Please do subscribe to us at wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Shaping Champions Podcast. Enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of the Shaping Champions Podcast, where we explore what it takes to shape the champion within, become the greatest version of yourself, and succeed at whatever it is that you do in life. It's me, Jimmy Davis. We're back, episode 10. As ever, I'm joined by the man with the know-how, the man with the brains, the brains of the operation. It's Michelle St. Patrick Hewitt. How are you, sir? I am good, Mr. Jimmy Davis. <laughs> and uh, yeah, as ever, looking uh, looking forward to chopping, chopping this one up and, and getting into the kind of latest conversation about shaping champions. And yeah, I'm intrigued with this one because it's a different different field, a different sphere. So it's going to be very interesting to see where we go with this one. Indeed it will. So without further ado, uh, I'll introduce this week's guest, a man who for 16 years was a formidable opponent for anyone that faced him on a rugby pitch, consistently ranking as one of the most frequent carriers of the ball in English club rugby. He's a four-time Premiership winner, a two-time Heineken Cup runner-up, and a former England international, it gives me immense pleasure to welcome to the show, Jordan Crane. Good evening, Jordan. How are you, sir? Hi, Jimmy. All good, mate? All good. It's an absolute delight to have you on. Thank you for so much for taking the time to come and speak to us. Uh, first one I'm going to ask you, Jordan, what does it mean to you to be a champion? Like... Strange question, really, because you don't really think about it and it doesn't probably doesn't define you as a person. Like you look back at, at those things, like when we when we're at Leicester, we're winning those trophies and stuff like that. You think it's just going to happen every year. Uh, we're probably young and, you know, you, where was the next one? Where was the next one? And then like as you get older and you reflect, especially as you, as you finish playing, you're like, what did I actually achieve? And um Obviously, a lot of that stuff I've managed to, to achieve a lot. But for me now, I reflect with our players. It's like, what does it mean to be a champion? And do you have to win a trophy? Do you have to have the accolades to be a champion? And I don't think you do. I think the more that you look at it, the more that you chase it, it's more around the way that you behave. Um, so, you know, your behaviours... Um, the way that you conduct yourself, the way that you train, um, the way that you live your life. We, we talk a lot about um, championship standards in training. So you don't have to be a champion to train at a championship standard level and not accept um, a certain um, level from other people and yourself. So, yeah, it was great that I managed to reflect and, and have the the silverware and, and things like that. But for me now, what we're chasing is, is that championship mindset and being able to live that daily almost. 
Yeah, that's so fascinating to hear. So do, do you feel like there's almost like a, a redefining of that word, of that term, that phrase within sport to a degree? 100%. I, like you see so much stuff on the internet, all of all, all of it about what, what it means to be a champion and, and all of that. But, you know, everyone's chasing the same goal. So in rugby, everyone's chasing, in England, is chasing to win a premiership. So everyone wants to be it, but you've, it takes a lot of sacrifice to get there. And how do you get there? It's, it's what you do every day. So, you know, you might get to, we, we got to Prem finals, we got to Heineken finals, European finals, and lost by three points in a Heineken final. Does that make me any less of a champion than the, the guy who won it by three points? Mm-hmm. Probably, probably not, but he got a winner's medal, I got a runners-up medal. But as long as my actions match what I'm trying to be, that's, that's the difference. And have you, have you sort of reached that stage of your career now, Jordan, where you can reflect on those sort of journeys that you took? You know, like, for instance, that journey of getting to a final and all of the things that you gained as a result of that, do, do you sort of, um, do you attach that to the word champion? Uh, like I attach the, the experiences um, that I had to, to try and help the boys who I'm coaching now to, to know where the level is, to be able to get there. Um, so, you know, it's, it's kind of, you don't tap, I don't attach the experiences to, to being a champion because you don't have to necessarily sort of get to that level to, to be a champion. We have guys in our team who have that mindset, have the, the ability to, to call themselves a champion in the, in the way that they've, they, they behave and conduct themselves, but they don't necessarily, they, we've not won anything. So can they call themselves champion or not? But, you know, it's, it's more around the mindset for me. Jordan, it's almost like you could see where I was going to go next because obviously, yeah, you're involved in the kind of like academy system now and coaching and I'm sure you've got your own journey that you're wishing to go on um, in that field. But if we take it back ever so slightly to when you would have been a youngster, um, I'm not saying you're not young now, but when you, when you would have been like a teenager, young adult, etc. What was critical or, pot- or potentially who um, was critical to create that mindset for you or, or what you would perceive as a champion mindset. And I guess I say that in the context of now you're imparting knowledge to youngsters themselves coming up through the system. So I'm just intrigued to know what what shaped your mindset. Yeah, so I think growing up, grew up on an estate, um, we... Literally, sport was everything to us. Me and I had an older brother by two years. Um, we played football nonstop every day down the park, doing it against older kids, um, and that just just bred the the competitor, the the absolute like you had to fight for everything, you had to, you had to do everything. Hated losing, hated losing, like especially to my brother's friends and stuff like that. And then that drove me as a as a as a, a sportsman. So whatever I did, so I played football till I was fourteen. 
at 14, then decided um, me and my brother were both in the West Brom Jambian Academy, played in goal. Uh, I went to high school and my whole friendship group changed and they all played rugby and uh, made the, the county rugby team and uh, then decided, like, I fancy this, this is a bit of me. So my whole sporting path changed within a year. Now my focus becomes solely on I'm going to make it as a professional rugby player. Um, and that was my drive and that was what I was about. And, you know, I've got a young son now and he's obsessed with football. But I definitely find, like, if you want to, if, if you want to be successful at something, you have to have that passion to be able to do it and go out and do it, whether it's by yourself, whether it's with people. Like, there's a lot of people who love sport, but it's more of a recreational thing. And I don't think you're ever going to be a champion and you're never going to have the, the drive if you don't have the hunger for it because it's so competitive and you, you can take that into any walk of life. You, you're never going to get... You can be successful, of course you can, but you're never going to be at the top of where you want to be if you haven't got the drive and the hunger and the obsession for it. Just, um, just, just, just quickly, just off the back of that, and it's maybe going a bit too far um, in the story, but it's again, it's based off what you just said there. Do you feel you had that hunger by the time you got to Leicester? with the championship winning team or did that atmosphere at Leicester take your hunger and your drive up a not you didn't even know existed beforehand? Like, I guess what I mean is when you join a champion team, do you uncover even more champion traits, so to speak? Um, no, I, I believe, I believe I always had, it. I, I, um, I went to went to a, to a boarding school in Bristol uh, at sixth form. We got offered um, I got offered a full scholarship to go there. Um, we didn't lose a game in two years. That was the mindset of our team. We did not lose. We went. We won the national final by fifty points. So you know that shaped me more on my journey than. The, when I got to professional rugby, my mindset was that I'm a winner and I deserve to be here. So I had an option when I left school. I could have signed for Gloucester or I could have signed for Leeds. And at the time, they're both in the Premiership. Um, Gloucester were the bigger name, offered me a little bit more money, not much. Um but I went to Leeds. I signed for Leeds for four thousand pound for the hot for the year, and my decision was strictly based on that I can play now at eighteen, coming out of school, and I believe that I was good enough, and I believe that that was the best opportunity for me. So my mindset was to go there and play at eighteen. I'd never walked into professional setup before that; only been at school. And then two years later, I signed for Leicester. It, it sounds like what you're getting at, Jordan, is that that motivation, desire, hunger is intrinsic within you. And if that's the case, where do you think that comes from? Like, it, can you put it solely down to playing really competitively with your brothers and your mates or is there something more to it? 
it's it's fascinating isn't it because it's like nature or nurture is it the environment they grew up in um and it's the million dollar question but like we've we've got guys who have come from absolute privileged backgrounds had absolutely everything and their hunger and drive is is right up there and then you've had guys who've come done it the hard way done that get there and then they struggle to maintain their drive so when you go that way it's hard to it's hard to pinpoint what exactly it is um obviously experience shape the direction that you're going in but i i for me it's got to be something in inside the the person uh from from the get go um, and was there ever a point in your career where it waned slightly or decreased or lessened um never never waned never never lessened there was there was dips along the way definitely there was there was um there was times where uh you think am i good enough to to maintain this level like at Leicester, the expectations were were massive um got there 20 year old don't care in the first team loving it um every game you play you're a promising player um everything's good um pretty much playing every week and then all of a sudden you go from that guy to now four years later you've you've won the a few premierships got to a Heineken final now all of a sudden you're not the young promising player anymore you're um in the leadership group you're a captain you the performance of the team is um you have to take responsibility for that because now the same performance that I gave when I was 20 is not good enough anymore now I'm 25 and I'm captain in the team or I'm vice captain of the team there's more expectation on me so that's always difficult to to deal with um because now it's not only your performance that counts, it's the performance of the team. So you have to take that on your shoulders and take that mentally as well. So that was always a tough, tough period to sort of get through. And especially if you're having a dip in form, um, how can you be responsible for the for the team's performance and your own? And that's always hard with players. You see it a lot with players who, when they're transitioning from that young, promising player to, you know, now you've really got to perform every single week. You, you, you've, you've mentioned captaincy there um, and, and leadership. Um, that's, it's, a, it's a really, it's fascinating that you've gone there. Um, because I think of all the kind of guests that we've had so far on the show, um, I think you may be the first where we kind of look at it in a team concept, right? And a leader who's got to, I guess, get the best out of a team. How do you go about shaping that? How do you shape a mindset where you can't just focus on your own game? What are like the tricks of the trade to get the dressing room to buy into a collective kind of, mission so to speak yeah it was probably it was probably something that um i'd i'd thrust upon me at a young age um captained 
uh, England age groups all the way through just whatever coach at the time um, saw something in me that, you know, that they, they thought that, that I'd be, I'd be good at, at that, at bringing a team together. Um, but probably through experience and whatever, I look back now and how I grew as a captain was, was, was massive. Um, probably in my younger years, it was more lead by example, lead from the front, carry the ball. By the time I got to Bristol, um, I wasn't the same player anymore that I was when I was at Leicester, but I was a 10 times better captain, if that makes sense. So probably towards the end of my career at Bristol, I probably wasn't um, the best player in the back row or in the pack, but I could make players around me better with the way that I could bring the group together and, you know, sort of um, sort of bring bring the team together. That that was probably some of my fondest memories as a captain was was what we did at Bristol um, in the in that time. But I, I sort of think sometimes as as a, as a captain, you you need to to step back and use the people around you as well. But when you're young, you you want to do it all yourself, and it, it takes time to reflect and and uh, become better at that. So, I mean, now we've sort of jumped into to speaking about Leicester and, and then a little bit about Bristol as well. I'm really interested, Jordan, to hear, as a, as a winner of numerous and consecutive titles, what does it take um, to be a winner at that level and to win consistently? And what did you learn from the losses? Because there were also some, some big kind of defeats, weren't there, as well, thrown in there? Yeah, yeah. So we, um, as as I said, the the pressure at Leicester was was one of the things. It probably at the time it was one of the only cities where the rugby was bigger than the football um, until Leicester went and won the prem um, back back in uh, 2016. But um, for me, the, one of the unique things about Leicester and one of the unique things about um, sort of being a being a champion or a champion in a team, because obviously you're reliant heavily on on everyone around you, sort of having the same mindset. And when I reflect now about Leicester, um, it was it was probably one of the most the toughest environments. Like if you ask anybody in rugby, what's one of the hardest environments to go into? It would be Leicester. Um, you know, very physical, attritional um, training. It was like playing two, three games a week just in training. We'd regularly fight and scrap and and, and everything. And, um, you know, the stories that come out of there are, are you know, in sort of folklore of, of, of how, how tough it is. Um, but one thing that we had was, was almost everybody had that common goal and belief in what we were doing. Um, it was like unwavering. Like we would, we would, um, we'd go to an England camp, and like you're going to England, and we would, we'd be there, and we'd be like, well, you know, we don't do this at Leicester, and like we thought that what we did was better than anyone else, no matter no matter what, what we did, the way that we trained, the game plan that we played, 
was better than anyone else. And in reality, was it better than anyone else? No, it would probably had more flaws than anyone's system. But what we had was 30 guys who believed in it 100% and executed it to, with maximum intent at all times. And then the mindset then was, I remember like, this is just like a, a small thing, but it was like, nobody ever asked when the season was going to finish. Like, it's not like football where you have an end date. Like that's the last game of the Prem and that's it. In rugby, you've got your playoffs and then you've got your Prem final. Like nobody was like, oh, well, if we don't make the playoffs, when do we finish? Oh, well, if we got knocked out in the semi-final, when, when do we finish? It was just like your finish date is the, the Prem final. That was like a given. That was like not even spoke about. That was, that was just the end date. You booked your holiday after the Prem final where you go to other clubs and it's like, those are the questions that you ask. Oh, well, if, if we do make the playoffs, then what, what's the crack? Are we, if we don't make the playoffs, are we going to train for a week before we go off? Because obviously there can be a long period there and then we'd be back into pre-season. There's all sorts of questions. At Leicester, that was, it was just a given that we're getting to the Prem final. And that, for me, that is one of the things that made us successful that we just believed 100% that it was going to happen and we were going to be there. And it, I mean, it really sounds like a brotherhood that you had going on there, like a really tight-knit unit. Was that that philosophy and mentality, was that coming from the top down? Was it from the bottom up? Was it everybody just together moving as one force? Oh, 100%. It was, it was, <clears throat> it was like that, but... Don't get me wrong, it was it was sink or swim. There was there was many people who came in and didn't last very long. And it was a lot different to to how how it is today. Obviously, society changes, teams change, um, but it was it was ruthless. It was really if if you weren't up to the job, you'd be told and, and you wouldn't last very long. Um, and that was driven from the top. That was driven from the senior players. That was was everywhere. So um, what we always had was a core group of people in that senior group. So um, obviously when I first came in, we had the likes of uh, Martin Corey, Ben Kay, um, the these sort of guys um, who who drove that, Julian White, and then as they sort of phased out, um, then it sort of became um, myself, Tom Croft, Ben Youngs, Tom Youngs, Dan Cole, um, these guys to then drive the standards of, of, of what we're doing. Um, so it, it just had that transition with it. Um, and it just always happened. It was one of those clubs where everybody stayed for a long time the expectations were set out. There was never any goal setting at the start of the season. There was never anything, oh, well, we'll make top four. There was two goals, win the Heineken Cup and win the Premiership, and that was it. And if you didn't win those, it, you weren't successful. We we lost in the uh, my second year there, uh, brought, brought, it, brought it to life for me, was we, um, we brought in a coach called Marcelo Lafreda, 
He'd come from Argentina. Um, he finished, Argentina finished third in the World Cup in 2007, which was massive. So he's come to Leicester for the, the following season, um, 07, 08. We got to the Premiership final and lost. And we got to the, like, the Cup final, um, like the Anglo-Welsh Cup final and lost. And he got the sack. So that was the that that all of a sudden it was like well that that's the level if you don't come back with a trophy you, chances are that uh, you could get the sack. What what you've just kind of hinted at there, and then as you were talking, I was thinking about Jose Mourinho's Chelsea. I was thinking about Alex Ferguson's Manchester United, and recently I interviewed. Um, uh, Bromley's manager, actually. And uh, he was talking about trying to raise the levels at Bromley. And he said, he said, you know what, Mash? Manchester City never get bored of winning. And I just wonder what you just described there about Leicester. Would you say that was the, the kind of mindset at the club? Like, you never thought about losing. And is it that simplistic that you just expected to win and that creates a mindset of we're going to obviously you have to put the work in but it creates a mindset of we are not losing matches yeah and there was games where we should have lost and we won because you know we we were like the thing with Leicester at the time you're off the back of guys who had who had built the reputation of the club um we were there was almost like a fear factor of people coming to Welford Road. And, you know, if we lost at home, it was the biggest thing ever. Like, we'd lose... Like, in my 10 years, we lost one European game at home. So, you know, that that's a, a long time. Um, and that, that was the mentality of it. You just, you just didn't lose at home. You you go away. Every our mindset there was everybody hates Leicester. Nobody wanted us to win, and we were going to show everybody that we were the best team, and we were going to physically bully you, and um, win the game. And that that was pretty much it. And that was the mindset. And that was, um, and that was it for the whole time that I was there. It sounds like there was a real level of accountability that came sort of within that group. I mean, is that the case? And were you naturally able to kind of reflect on your own performances, Jordan, and uh, take constructive criticism, be open to it? Yeah, like obviously now there's so much more footage and angles and all this this sort of stuff. So the reviews weren't as intense and stuff like that. But what what was intense? If we didn't perform, guaranteed we were getting it in training on the Monday or the Tuesday. Guaranteed. Like, it wasn't like, now you, you play on a Saturday, you'll rock up on a Monday, it'll be a clarity day because you've got to recover. Um, Tuesday will be like your, your physical day and everything's like that. It was like, we don't perform on a on a weekend, guaranteed Monday, we were out smashing the shit out of each other. And that was the level. And it was almost the mindset was like, we will go hard. If we go this hard at each other in training, 
then imagine when we turn up on a Saturday, how hard we'll go on people who we don't know, uh, the opposition, people who we don't like, uh, or they've got what we want. We want to win. So um, that that was the mindset. Jordan, can can you go too far, Ryan? Hear me out with this one. In terms of can is there a kind of finite time on which the intensity can last, right? Um, and the reason why I'm asking this question is I'm thinking about that documentary that was done on the England cricket team. I can't remember what it was called now off the top of my head. And it, it was about their time under Andy Flower when they became the number one team in the world. And the players kind of reflected on it and said, yeah, we were the best. And he drove us really hard and our standards were exceptionally high. But looking back over your career, would you say that within that kind of mindset of being a winner, being a champion, that there comes a natural point where things level off and you have to find a new motivation, so to speak. Uh, don't Take that how you want. I'm just intrigued about that. Yeah. And ultimately, Leicester ended up hitting that point and then it, it took them a long time to, to rebuild. Like, as I said, my first seven years, we were... We were there seven straight Prem finals, two Heineken finals. Um, and then all of a sudden we started to get caught up. Um, we start, teams started to catch us up. Uh, teams started um, passing us. And then we struggled. To, as I said, we had a belief in our game plan that, you know, it was the best and, and all that. And then teams caught us up and all of a sudden our game plan wasn't as good because now all of a sudden teams have have got better players, they've got a better game plan, all of that. So now our physicality and our mindset is not carrying us anymore. And then for the next three years that I was there, we made the semi, we made, we made the playoffs every year, but we didn't make the final again. And then um, obviously they had a real dip. Um, I left in 2016 and it, it gradually, I think they made the playoffs one more year and then it gradually started to, to nosedive. The club shifted their values of, of what they, they saw. They wanted to play more of an expansive, like, um, um, like attractive rugby for the fans. And, and all of a sudden it, it didn't match up with, um, where they wanted and then they wanted to be Leicester again two years later but all your recruitment has driven them to to go one way and then they really really struggled they ended up finishing bottom um, of the table uh, in the Covid year and then Steve Borthwick come in and did an amazing job and within two years they were champions again um, so you know we we did hit that sticking point we did hit the the point where, you know, and, and and society changed as well. So what was acceptable and the way that you treat people and um, the mindset and the mentality, younger people coming in didn't accept that anymore. And it sort of fell on deaf ears and, you know, the the brotherhood and the, the collectiveness, the sort of siege mentality sort of didn't, didn't lie with everyone anymore. And it could only carry you so far. 
I hope you're enjoying this episode of the Shaping Champions podcast. Thank you again for listening. You can follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Shaping Champions Podcast. Please do subscribe to us at wherever you get your podcasts from. And if you'd like to discuss anything with us, make any suggestions or offer up any guests that you'd like us to interview, please do contact us on any of our social channels or email us on shapingchampions at outlook.com. Enjoy the rest of the show. So Jordan, you're our first guest on the podcast from the world of rugby. And rugby to me, I mean, we're in the, we're recording this whilst we're in the midst of a, a World Cup, a Rugby World Cup. And just watching it recently has reminded me just how demanding and physically brutal the sport is. And it just feels to me like a sport that takes more courage than any other to play. So I'm really interested, how has playing the sport impacted your development or the development of your character? Uh, and growth as a human being as well as a sports person? Yeah, no, it teaches you a lot of values. Do you know what I mean? Um, you know, there's there's the respect piece. There's all of that. And everybody sort of um, associates with rugby, you know, the way that we treat the officials and, and stuff like that. But, you know, for me, it, it, it's, it's not that. It's, it's more around... How can you operate in a team? How can you um, be yourself, be authentic and be able to operate with 30, 40 other people and take instruction around, you know, that could be critical, like they can be critical of you, all of that sort of stuff, but then still turn around and want to play for that guy. Um, you've got to put your personal feelings aside at times um, it's all sort of life skills that you know not everything's personal um, a lot of people now you give them feedback they take it very personally um, but one of the greatest strengths is to be able to take feedback and then use it constructively um, so that would be, be a massive one for me um, the, like as I said working in a team so if I took this anywhere else um you know i can slot in straight away like this is yeah great we can do that i'm not sort of like isolated by myself where you know some sort of people people feel but also like for me it's the discipline um i was pretty much on a diet for 16 years whilst i played um it's that mindset to just be able to go right i need to do this this is what i need to do and this is what, what I'm going to do to achieve my goal. And that's that's one of the things. And you see people now, they want, there's so much out there that it's like, they want it easy. They want the easy fix. They want, um, they want it now, but they don't want to work for it. And probably it's one of those games that you have to work for it. You see how physical it is. You have to look after your body. You have to be in good condition. You have to go out there with a mindset that you, 100% that physicality, that play with you with your body on the line. Otherwise, you're going to get found out pretty quickly. Even if you're if you're a couple of percent off mentally, you will get found out, and it will cost your team. So you have to get yourself to that level every single week, knowing that. You probably your body's not a hundred percent, and that take that takes something that you know 
if you take it into real life, like that's a that's a game, but it, it sort of sharpens your mind to you know if things do get tough, um, I I've got the skills to to deal with it and the mentality to deal with it. You've alluded to um, Jordan a few times about things were, I guess, different in some ways when you came up through the system. You're a coach now. Um, my interpretation of what you've said, and please correct me if I've got it wrong, is that it was probably a bit more dog-eat-dog um, when you were coming up. Um, what are the differences you've kind of noticed from the other side of uh, the touchline now where you're you're having to shape younger players and help them progress um through through the system what what have you had to add into your coaching repertoire that you've that probably wouldn't have i guess, i guess not either not been needed or wasn't necessarily part of the coaching process or not as highlighted when you were coming up for the system yeah so as, as i mentioned 100 it was it was dog eat dog and now you sort of look at what's what's the gold star sort of culture it's like it's like that um high challenge but then you add the support with it um we probably lacked a lot of the support um but it worked and you know and it's it's one of those questions that everybody asks is like what determines a good culture or what um what makes a good culture um, all these things, what makes a successful uh, culture like Leicester's culture, is, as, I, as I said, was ruthless. Like it, it wasn't for everybody and it wasn't, um, it wasn't all nice and we weren't all friends all the time. And, you know, one guy would punch another guy in training, but then it'd be fine after. Where now you have to be so much more um you know supportive around those guys so one of the big learnings for me is like we will all get frustrated at a time we'll all say something that we don't mean in the heat of the moment but how can i connect with that guy after to make sure that the the message was right or he understands why i was upset or why i was demanding more of him because i feel now like a culture of players, they don't just accept me turning around and, and saying, do this. Like, it, it doesn't work like that anymore. I think the more I reflect as a coach and sort of creating a group of people who, who are going to be successful and, and want to go on and, and, and do more, we have to collaborate with those guys. It's no longer um, just me or any coach going, do this, do that, do this, because we all need to feel part of it. We all need to have a common goal in what we're trying to achieve. Um, so if they don't feel part of the process or they don't feel, you know, that they've had a, a say in it, then what are they playing for? Because they're not just going to play because I tell them to. Um, so for me, that was one of the biggest growth areas for me coming out of play and, I probably sort of transitioned a little bit whilst I was still playing and the mindset around it moving from Leicester to Bristol. Um, but for me, it's as a coach now, it's how can we collaborate with the players and 
all be in this together, to have that common goal, to to feel like we've got something to to get after. When you when you spoke about what rugby has given you uh, a couple of questions ago, Jordan, you were sort of um, touching on a lot of the insights that were given by James Kerr in, in the book Legacy about the All Blacks, you know, all those oh, yeah. sort of qualities and, and characteristics. And um, it just reminded me when um, that, that, that bit, when he's sort of saying that it could be argued that a lot of the, those amazing qualities needed to be a, an elite athlete are explicitly linked to character. So teamwork, motivation, attitude, effort. How, um, how important was character at Leicester, did you see it amongst all of those individuals you were playing around? Uh, and also, do you put a focus on it now when you're working with young players? So for, for me, like, <clears throat> if, you, if you put it this way, so um, if you took, I don't know, 10, 20-year-olds at the Premiership, and put them up against um, the England squad. All the 20-year-olds could pass the ball, kick the ball, probably physically as good as the England squad. So what's the difference between the two? For me, it's mindset. There'd be so many guys who in the Premiership now, or maybe even in the Championship, who have potentially got a better skill level than some of those at the World Cup now who are with England, but why are they not there? Because of these non-negotiables that you're talking about there, character, effort, work rate, um, mentality. Um, like that, that's the the literally the the piece that you you can't coach. You can try and lead them down that way, but you know, you either you either have it to some extent and grow it and make it unbelievable or you're always trying to coax it out of them and then it just, if they can't motivate themselves, um, then you, you struggle. So, so fascinating to hear that. And, um, you know, really good to hear you kind of confirm my my initial hunch around it because I, I, I do a little bit of work with young athletes and, um, you know, trying to get that message through to some is, is just banging your head against a brick wall, it feels like at times. And it's just good to hear you kind of say that it is internal, essentially, yeah. but that it can be grown and it can be developed and and can be progressed. Um, really interesting to hear you say that you were part of the football academy system as a youngster. Um, I'd be really fascinated to get your your take on the difference between the sports because, again, I think you mentioned it earlier, you know, we see the respect piece, um, a difference in supporter attitudes. You know, I've been to rugby games and opposing fans just sit next to each other and it's all fairly good-natured. Um, it feels like there's more humility in rugby to me. I mean, would you would you go with that? And what were the big differences that you've seen with your experience? Yeah, so you know, one of the one of the big things for me is that the fans can sit together, and you know, I'll probably say that you know the supporters 
in rugby, it's starting to creep in that, you know, the sort of we want it now mentality, same as football, that, you know, you're not going well, sack the manager. Um, like it's, you you do have more time in, in rugby, but it's, it's slowly becoming that way. And that's what happens as sport grows and gets bigger, becomes more demand. Um, but for me, like probably looking back, I probably don't really remember too much around the academy stuff. Um, but my son now at the moment, he's going through it. So he's in, uh, he's under eights in Bristol City in Cardiff Academy. And the thing for me is the expectation of the parents at that age is ridiculous. Like the, like not necessarily the behavior, but like the way that they, you know, go at the kids on the side of the pitch after you like it's it's mad how serious it is at such a young age and like one of the big pieces for me and for for any young um kid is like can you um do multi-sport can you go into a different environment and still be able to you know, interact with the kids and perform and and do that. So what we did with our lad, he he played tag rugby, he did all sorts, and he'll probably do rugby again next year. But it's like take them to a different environment. Don't just be let them settle and you know they're comfortable and like cause that's like especially if you want to get to to a level that you that you're gonna be good. You've got to be able to go into any environment and still be able to to perform and and thrive and not be intimidated by it. Um, but yeah, like the big difference is the if you if you went to rugby on a Sunday morning for under eight and you went to football on a Sunday morning for under eights, the difference is like two different like stratospheres. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to echo that, Jordan, because I played rugby at school um, all the way from year seven through to year 11. Um, my school was, a, was very much a rugby union school and football was... I'm a, I'm a massive football fan, but football was effectively banned at the school <laughs> and rugby was the sport that we had to play. And um, so I'm in this unique position where I totally understand the game, but don't actually want to play the game. <laughs> but, um, but what I've always said about rugby union um, is that I felt as a kid playing every single year of my school life that it fostered a greater level of camaraderie that playing football on a Sunday didn't. And I'm trying to look back, and based off what you've just said, I'm looking back now going, why was that? And don't get me wrong, yeah, we, we wanted to beat other schools, but I just felt it was a bit more... I. <laughs> It kind of sounds like airy-fairy, but I felt like there was more kind of emphasis on go and enjoy the game, go and enjoy playing rugby, whereas football was more about go out and win with parents shouting on the on the touchline and so on and so forth. Is that too simplistic to look at it like that? Or, or would you say there's an element of truth with that? Oh, I don't think so. I think um, one of the, just like reflecting on it now, one of the things about rugby that I used to love was like, you used to go in 
after a game, everybody would have a meal together, both teams. Like, it would be like something stupid, like sausage and chips or hot dog and chips. But both teams would get fed in the clubhouse after. So everybody was in there. Um, and that was part of it. And, you, you know, and it, it like simple things like that, where I think with football, it's like literally like the team comes in, they go away, they get straight back in their cars with their parents and and that's it. And it's like more individualised because I want my son to be a professional footballer and I'm going to do this and do that. And instead of actually, well, can he be part of a team and a big part of a team? Can he actually enjoy it for he's there with his mates and and all of this? And I the, the thing I see is so many kids who don't actually look like they're enjoying it, which is a horrible thing to say. But, you know, they, they don't need to feel the pressure of their parents at eight, seven, eight years old. Where rugby, I think, is just because it's, it's a late developing sport as well. So um, academies don't start till 14. You can see guys who don't even play till they're 16 and they develop and they, 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 they do whatever. And obviously most people who are athletically good in this country go and play football first. And then they probably fall out of love with it at some point and then they pick up rugby or another sport. Um, so probably it is more that, that, you know, the first so many years of playing it is just about enjoying it and falling in love with the sport instead of the expectation of the sport. And just coming back to, I mean, mentioning parents there, we've talked a bit about helicopter parenting on this podcast with a few of our guests. And um, I mean, what, what advice would you have, Jordan, as a, as a professional coach and a parent, for any, for any parents who might be listening or watching us, what advice would you give them aside from the obvious, you know, stop, stop being a pilot of the helicopter? Oh, man, I, th- I think one of the things is you're always going to get frustrated with your kids, no matter what. Like, everybody's going to stand there on the side of a pitch and go, what is, what is he doing? Like, flipping you. And, and everybody will have felt that. If you, if, if you can just stand there and, and just don't care, then, then brilliant. But, you know, everyone's going to get feel those frustrations. But it's like, how can you make it? constructive for them how can you make it that they still enjoy it so something that i do with with hunter we have like three goals for the training session and then after it you ask him did you did you do it did you press every time um did you stay on your feet because he's always sliding in and did you and were you direct when you had the ball and then afterwards then you can actually go have a conversation with him well, did you press every time? And he sometimes might be like, yeah. And you're like, yeah, agree with you. And then he's, and then sometimes he might be like, oh no, I could have done better. Well, work on that next training session. And then you've actually got something tangible instead of me getting annoyed because he didn't do the one thing or <clears throat> whatever, that you've actually got a discussion point with him in terms of like actually as well, focusing him for for training or whatever it is. Yeah, love that. Absolutely love that. Um, and 
just coming back to you being a coach now and sort of being embarking on that journey, what, what in your opinion makes a great coach? I think, I think one of the things for me now, and probably in most sports, as I spoke earlier, you get so much more footage and, and everything now. You, you get quite a lot of laptop coaches who, you know, they can tell you everything that was wrong with something and everything that needs to be done better. Um, but after the fact, um, and it's, it, it's, for me, it's more around the feel and the, and the can you connect with the player and can you connect with somebody different and you can you understand how they feel in that moment and why they might have made that decision? Um, so connecting that, and then as I said, the big one for me is the is the collaboration with the players, and it's not every player. Like um, so, obviously I retired in lockdown. I took over the academy, uh, coached the academy for three years at Bristol, and then. Um, for the last two years on the defence coach with the first team now. So what I did, the first thing that I did was I appointed, made them apply, but I appointed five defence captains because I wanted these guys to be the heartbeat of the defence in the, in, the, in, the, in the group. So we meet every week. They help deliver the messages and drive the messages that we want as a group to the team. So, you know, all of a sudden they've got a touching point with me. We plan out the week, what are we going to do? 100% buy-in from them. So then they can then drive those messages to the team. So when we talk about collaboration, I'm collaborating with those guys who then collaborate with the team to give us the best outcome. Um, instead of me standing up there going, we need to do this, we need to do that. I'm not playing. So, no, it doesn't matter what I say because I'm not playing. I can't affect it on a, on a Saturday. So I need these guys to be right on it, to be to what first of all, buy into it. Like I said before at Leicester, you need a group to buy into what you're selling. Otherwise, you're not going to be successful. Um, so for me, it's the big piece around knowing how the players feel, but with a collaboration and knowing when to push and when to when to pull back, like having that feel of the group instead of go, 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 push, keep pushing, keep pushing, or they all drop off or we go too easy and we don't push them hard enough that we don't maximise what they've got. It sounds like uh, a real kind of, um, collective of responsibility you know a lot of individuals with with responsibility within the the overall collective which sounds like it can only be a, a positive thing um just before we wrap up jordan i think one final question from us working in the academy uh, for those couple of years that you did at bristol before moving into the first team what sort of challenges did you see young aspiring sports people facing and were there any kind of qualities that you were trying to in, instill in them to make them better people as well as better players so i think one of the big things for me was 
the mindset piece was almost what we touched on at the start. So when I went in, the academy had won four games in seven years in the in the Premiership Cup, and so all of a sudden we wanted to become, and they were losing by fifties, sixties. It was like, how can we get a group to turn into a winning team? And it wasn't because we didn't have the players and they didn't have the talent. It was more because the focus was always just, you know, I enjoy it. But as we spoke earlier, it starts to become serious now because these guys in in a year's time will all of a sudden be in a professional environment with expectations so high. So it's like, how can we prepare these kids? One, if they make it as a professional to be able to cope with the demand and the, the pressure. So bridge the gap between professional and these guys. Um, so, you know, they step up into the senior environment. All they're thinking about is, you know, their game instead of, I need to learn this, I need to do this, a million things. But also by demanding that standard, it will help all of the kids, no matter what, they go into next, they go into university rugby, they go into, you know, the discipline that I spoke about. Um, like, how can we give them that attitude that they they can be disciplined, they can, you know, succeed, they can see if you work hard, you get results. Um, so, you know, we can make them better people as well as better players and bridge the gap because... We're only there's only going to be a handful of players who actually go on to be professional, but can they also be part of a team that's successful? Because some of my fondest memories of being at school and us winning the national championship by um, 50 points and us not losing a game in two years. So it's like, how can we give these guys the same experience um, within three years, we won the Academy League, the Premiership of the Academy. And now these guys now, they're all on a wall, like a big picture of all these guys at the training ground. That, you know, there's probably six of them who are still with us, but the rest of them, they will remember that experience and that moment for for the rest of their that it would probably be the best experience of their rugby career. Listen, Jordan, you you couldn't have end, you couldn't have ended the episode in a better in a better way. Even if you tried, even if you'd written something down, you couldn't have ended it better than that. But um, listen, that's been a, a real education, um, and and I mean that you've you've taken us on a journey there, not just from your kind of own development as a player but into the coaching world and kind of your philosophy that you're 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 trying to impart on those in the game itself uh developing that mindset um of a champion and like i say i i hope those listening to this episode have kind of taken on board the gems um that you've dropped about shaping champions and the best the best way to go about it or certainly how you've gone about it um and it's one that has led to great success I must say, but um, thank you so much for coming on the show, um, Jordan. Much, much appreciated. This has been another fascinating 
episode and edition of the Shaping Champions podcast. And I should give you the last word, Jordan. We always like to give the guests the last word. And even though you ended it already in the best way you could, <laughs> any last words before you go? No, thanks for having me, guys. It's been a pleasure. Top man, Absolute Jordan. Yeah, absolutely brilliant, man. Thanks so much. Guys, please do follow us, subscribe to us, like, share on any platform, whichever one you're listening to us on, watching us on. Follow us on social media at Shaping Champions Podcast. We'll put Jordan's details down below in the description if anyone does want to reach out to him uh, or maybe connect with him. And we'll see you again next time.